Well, good morning, everybody. How's it going? What a sunny, beautiful day it is out there, hey? Holy smokes. Like, I just woke up and I was like, man, I'm excited to be alive today. This is great. Uh, no, actually, here's what happened. I think I, I told somebody this. I woke up this morning and I walked out the door. It was about uh, 6.15 in the morning and I saw the rain and I thought to myself, if I wasn't getting paid right now, I'd go back to bed. So I fully expected it to be like me and Andrew and Nathan this morning. So I'm delighted to see you because I didn't expect anyone else to be here because it is horrendous out there. It's awful. Can't wait for Jesus to come back and uh, eradicate the evilness that is the Pacific Northwest fall, winter, gross. Amen? Can I get an amen? Yeah, let's go. Okay, six months, guys. Hang in there. It's, it's going to be over in no time. Anyway, good morning, good morning. Uh, welcome. As has already been said, if you're new, huge welcome to you. My name's Chris, uh, and I'm one of the leaders here uh, at the church. My privilege to teach uh, and preach. This morning, we are finishing up a, a series. This is our last week, a series we've been in. Uh, this is week number eight, I believe. Uh, the series is called The New Normal. I'll get to that in just a second. Before I get to that, though, quick family uh, update. We've been doing, just to, to give everyone a sense of what's going on in the life of our church, we've been doing financial updates kind of every other week or so. And the, the reason for it is because uh, since, like, you know, post-2020, uh, like gathering attendance has just been like, like really, really inconsistent for people. Like it's not uncommon for someone and hey, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just facts are facts, yo. Uh, once every six weeks, like once a month, if it's raining out, we're going to stay in bed. Like it's just, there's kind of a new, new, new rhythms to people and we want people to know what's going on. So when we make an announcement uh, to the church family, we kind of have to make it like a number of times for, for everyone to hear it. So I'm going to hit, uh, I'm going to hit some numbers here really quick. Some of you have heard this stuff before, but uh, just to kind of give you a sense of what's been happening uh, financially with our church over the last number of months since about May, like there's been a bit of a downturn, uh, and I just want to make you aware. It's not like dire straits or anything. This is just kind of making sure everybody understands what's going on. And again, these are rough numbers, so I'll just plow through this really quickly. Currently, our monthly average giving is roughly between twenty-five dollars and $27,000 a month. Now, September was uh, a lot larger than that. It was $35,000, which is great. Uh, our current monthly expenses are roughly $35,000 a month. Uh, although it would be great if we had closer to $40,000 a month coming in. So you can tell there that there's a monthly deficit, anywhere from five to $10,000 a month on average. We do have quite a bit of resources uh, in the bank. So it hasn't been like, you know, a huge, um, a huge concern, but rather just something that we're monitoring as it stands. The last time I looked, at least, we have about $97,000 in the bank, but we really don't want that to get much lower. We feel like it's really wise to keep, uh, you know, a cash reserve, especially kind of in these uncertain financial times. Like, our hope is to really have, like, three months' expenses in the bank. So we're, like, right around that mark. So we really don't want to see our, give, our, our bank balance get a whole lot lower than that. We do have some other monies in the bank that are allocated that we want to keep allocated and don't want to have to tap into. So all that just to say really simply, uh, if you're not a follower of Jesus or this isn't your church, then, then don't worry about it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you're new to our church, this is your church, you've been a part of our church uh, and you haven't been uh, you know, financially giving, we just want you to know. We want you to know that like 
this is kind of the state of affairs. There's lots of people that didn't, don't know. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of staff. We obviously have rent and other things to pay. So I just want to encourage you. There's lots of ways to give. We try and make it really easy. Uh, we have a giving station at the lobby. You can give via debit credit. You can sign up for pre-authorized debit through the giving station. Go there, talk to them. You can give uh, online or website, westvillagechurch.com forward slash give. You can give on there. Uh, you can also give via e-transfer, just sending an e-transfer to giving at westvillagechurch.com. Uh, but here would be the message. Um, simply pray. Simply ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do, and then go and do whatever it is that he asks you to do. Sound good? Two thumbs up? Awesome. Okay, I'm going to invite Glory. Where's Glory? Glory, can you come up here? I can't. There she is. Uh, clap for Glory, because i got to leave for a second and get a microphone, so it's not too awkward. Thank you. <clears throat> Why are we clapping for glory? Well, why wouldn't we clap for glory? She's amazing, that's why. You don't know why we would clap for, you don't know glory if you're asking that question, why we clap for glory. Glory, I'm gonna give you this microphone. Uh, the reason I invited Glory up here is because uh, last week um, she sent me a text message following uh, the gathering and I was just like, oh, like we, we gotta just share this story. Like it's a real simple story um, applying the things that we have been talking about uh, in the last seven, eight weeks uh, here in our Sunday gathering, just kind of lived out in real time. And so I just was like, oh, we should, we should share this story. So she's like, don't ask me, don't ask me any questions, Chris, please. I promised you, I won't <laughs> ask you any questions, so I won't. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, she's so wonderful. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, everyone. Um. <laughs> it is... It is now on. Sorry. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it is good to be here in the house of the Lord and be gathering with you. And I want to share with you a God story <laughs> of what's been happening in our uh, CG, our community group, and um, how God is moving um, in where I live. And uh, these past few weeks that Chris and everybody's been preaching um, has been an impact in my life and uh, just been amazing to see where God is working. Uh, as uh, you know that we are doing this uh, sermon called The New Normal. And uh, every time Chris speaks, I'm thinking, or anybody else, I'm thinking, oh, I should apply that. <laughs> uh, for example, he, he said that uh, we need to start talking about Jesus. <laughs> and, and I realized I actually don't do that enough or don't do that enough to the people that are around me. And so I challenged myself and said, oh, I need to start talking about Jesus. And something happened in our CG and, um, and my sister asked me something and I said, yeah, these, my, my friends started fasting. And I said, fasting what's that because <laughs> my sister is not a believer and um and then she says do you do that and i said yeah i do and she says no way she started joking and i said yeah i do that for uh to share my life with jesus and so it was just kind of fascinating and then um and then chris started saying oh you know in order to disciple people these uh there's certain kinds of people that are, are ready to receive Christ. And he described all these people, I think. Pipsy. Pipsies. And I'm going, that is my neighbor. <laughs> She's from Brazil. She's alone. 
she is financially in distress, and I'm going, she's the perfect person to tell her about Jesus. And so I've been intentionally buying things for my house so that I can do things together with people, like I bought two blow-up kayaks so that I can take her out on things like this or for people that uh, don't know Jesus. And so I've been taking her out on um, these adventures and going on for walks, and she's been bringing up the name of Jesus. And, and all of a sudden I said to her that, uh, do you want to know more about Jesus? And she said, yeah. I said, are you willing to do a Bible study with me? And she said, yes. So today is the day. <laughs> so, and today, <laughs> even though it's raining, I'm uh, going to go for a walk or maybe do a Zumba class with her and then do a study. So I am now practicing fasting too so that uh, the Holy Spirit will guide me today. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Hey, just wait. Hold that mic. I know I said I know I said I wasn't going to ask you anything, but Laura, you haven't been around long enough. If you thought I was going <laughs> to stick to that, <laughs> um, no, no, no questions. Well, it's a question, I guess. I won't lie to you twice. I'll just lie to you once. Um, can you just pray? Can you pray for your friend? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. God, you are a good, good father, and that's who you are. And uh, I thank you that I don't have to be in control and that you have this. And God, I just pray for my neighbor, Carolina, who does not know you, that you would soften her heart uh, to the gospel, to know that you are the person that loves her deeply and died for her, Lord. And I pray that, um, that your spirit would guide and direct me in the way that I should go and that she will see the light and uh, know you as our Lord and Savior. And we proclaim this for your kingdom and know that, um, that she is loved and that I don't have to do anything. And it's just by your works that uh, she will know you, Lord. And we give you praise and glory. Your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wait, 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 wait. Side hug. Side hug. There you go. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much, Glory. I hope that was um, that was encouraging for you. Uh, uh, what we've been trying to convey is that um, that within all of us, because of the power of the gospel, the presence of the Holy Spirit, exists the possibility for uh, disciples to be made right where we are. And actually, maybe what we'll do really quick, just to kind of help connect all the dots. And, and oh, let me just say this. I got to say this before I start get too far into this. This is going to be like we've been apologizing every week because uh, we kind of somewhat pride ourselves on being like preach the Bible, church, open the Bible, exposit the word of God. And that's like a huge core conviction of ours. Uh, and this series has been like not that. This has been super practical, uh, not a ton of Bible. And today's going to be the worst. Like I don't even know if I'm going to read from the Bible today. Uh, this is going to be more like a classroom. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. And so um, I apologize for that. Don't, don't hate us. Know that next week we're getting back into the book of Philippians and we'll do the long series, preach the whole thing. All right. So, but I, I just think that this conversation that we're having is paramount. You'll see why. If you weren't here last week, like last week was a little bit dark and like 
uh, like Andrew was like, you didn't really give us much hope uh, because, because it's actually like the reality is it's pretty bleak and we'll, we'll cover some of that today. So the reason that we're willing to take the risk that we're taking in this series is because we, we want to, um, we want to be brutally honest about where things are uh, as it pertains to the church and relationship to the culture. I think it's just so important for us to have this conversation. So, but uh, Elizabeth, if you could throw on the screen, I think it's in the slides. Yes, thank you, the missionary pathway. So this is what we've been teaching through through this series, okay? So there's eight weeks on here. I don't know if you can see this, but the first week we talked about this idea that Jesus is Lord, not us. We have to submit ourselves to him. And then we, th we spent two weeks talking about extraordinary fasting. It's actually extraordinary prayer and fasting. Uh, but just this idea that we want to be so connected like this picture of john 15 like the vine and the branches so connected to jesus his life flowing into our life the holy spirit working through us jesus with us everywhere we're abiding we're remaining in christ and then the second part of that the second week in talking about prayer and fasting was then taking the work that jesus is doing in our hearts as he's healing us as he's ministering to us as his presence is very real and bringing it into our community so that's where you hear glory talk about some of these things right she talked about this idea that like okay um i moved into this neighborhood i have a house i have money i have time but it's it's not my own right my life was bought with a price jesus is lord of my life so when i buy a kayak i'm not buying i'm not going to buy one I'm going to buy two. I don't need two. It's just me. But I'm going to buy two because Jesus has put me in this neighborhood to, to be a conduit for his grace. So he's Lord. I'm looking around in my neighborhood. And I'm realizing there's a lot of people here that don't know Jesus. I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to practice abiding and remaining in Christ. Now I'm going to start fasting and praying for my neighbors. Then the next week, we talked about this idea. Andrew talked about the idea of, of living as missionaries. And you heard that very clearly in some of the things that I just mentioned, but in Glory's story, she just started to look around and realize, like, I'm a full-time missionary sent to the city of Victoria, but I'm a full-time missionary sent right into this, like, this little neighborhood where God has placed me. That the, the gospel needs to come to bear right here in this community. And so she's started to reorient her life just like a full-time missionary would overseas she has started to reorient her life around the opportunities that god has put in front of her why because jesus is lord as she's been praying the spirit's been prompting her and putting things on her heart as she's been abiding in christ he's been speaking to her and revealing things to her and she's been walking those things out in obedience and then she says to herself I need to plant the gospel. That was the next week. I need to plant the gospel. In other words, I need to start talking about Jesus. Like, I, I, I need to let my neighbors know about Jesus. I need, to, I need to start bringing him up in conversation. And so she starts walking. She starts spending time with her neighbor. And in that conversation, she, or in that time, rather, she, she starts to talk about Jesus. And what happens? All of a sudden, an opportunity arises an opportunity arises, and this afternoon, she's going to actually get to start doing a discovery Bible study with her neighbor. And the hope is, the, the prayer is that we would actually see missional community emerge right in her neighborhood, that more people would come to know Jesus, more people would encounter Jesus, that maybe her neighbor would come to faith in Jesus, and the two of them would actually start a community on mission together, living out these ideas and these principles right there in her neighborhood. And guess what happens? The church emerges, the community of faith emerges right within her neighborhood. 
right within our neighborhood. Now, why is that important? This is where I want to do a quick review from last week. If you were here last week, I drew a bunch of diagrams. I'm going to redraw some of these diagrams for us this morning. The first one I drew, well, it wasn't the first one I drew, but the one that I want to, I want to go back to is this picture. We have in our culture, this is what is currently taking place. So we have, hopefully you can see that. If not, that's all right. Well, no, it's not all right, but it'll just have to be. Um, we have this dynamic in our, in our current world, in our current kind of church world, where the church is over here and the city or the culture is over here. And here is what we are saying to our city. We want you to come to us. So we have our buildings, we have our programs, uh, we have our services, we have our events, and what we say to the community, come to us, come to our church, come to our event, come to our program, come to our building. And what we said last week was like, this, this idea is rooted in the premise that somehow within our culture, there is a heritage or a vestige of the Christian story. But we are living in what is called a post-Christian or post-Christendom reality, where no longer is it normative for people to have this like memory in their family history of the Christian story. So it used to be pretty normal for someone to have been to church or their parents to have been to church. But where we are situated right now in the cultural moment, we find ourselves specifically here in the, in the West Coast of Canada on Vancouver Island, like that, that is like gone. It is gone. I said this last Sunday, but when, when, I, when we were planting West Village uh, 11 years ago, there was this category of people called de-church. These were people that used to go to church. Census Canada information just came out, 2021 Census Canada information just came out, and that category is gone. It is no more. So I say this all the time. Uh, it is very, very, very rare, although it does happen, and it is actually happening right now in our community, so God is good. But it is very, very, very rare for someone who does not have a connection to Jesus or to a church, whether it was their parents or their grandparents, to wake up on a Sunday morning and say to themselves, if there was just a really cool church or if there was just a great church or a church at all, that I would, then I would totally go to it. The way that I like to phrase this, just because it kind of lands, I think it makes some sense for us, is um, when is the last time you woke up on a Friday morning and thought to yourself, if there was just a cool mosque in my neighborhood, I would totally attend it? Never. Why? Because I don't have any, anything in my story that relates to the religion of Islam. Well, that's the case for most of our city. Let me just give you three numbers here, okay? Three numbers. Less than 3%. Uh, 35% and 1.4 million. What do these three numbers mean? Well, let me tell you. Less than 3% is the amount, it's the percentage of growth within a church that is attributed to new convert growth. So if you take all the growth of all the churches in Canada, all the growth that we're seeing, which is very little, Less than 3% of that growth in any church on any given Sunday is going to be what is called new convert growth. Churches that are growing are predominantly growing from sheep shuffling, 
or babies being born. Praise God we have a lot of babies around here. But honestly, the, 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 this is gonna sound, these are really crass terms, so forgive me if you're, if, if you're new to faith. But, but the pagan who wanders in on a Sunday, hears the gospel, comes to faith in Jesus, and then begins a life of following Jesus, that is a very, very, very rare story in the country of Canada and in the West in general, to be honest. The next number, 35%. This is census 2021 data, just came out a couple weeks ago. 35%, you know what this percentage represents? It represents the percentage of the largest religious category in Canada. If you had to guess what it was, what would you guess? None. None. The largest religious category in Canada is none. No religious affiliation. Let that sink in for just a second. 1.4 million. What is that? That is the, this is a really weird statistic, but it's worth talking about. This is the average cost per baptism in the West. So somebody, don't know who, don't know why, but they took all the resources within the Western church, all the dollars given within the Western church, and they added them up. And then they counted all the baptisms, and they divided the number of baptisms by the amount of resources that the church in the West had, and they estimated that it is between 1.1 and 1.4 million dollars per baptism. Why do I say all this? I say all this because the trajectory we are on is not a good one. It is, it is change or die. If I was planting a church today, the idea of like buying a building, starting a Sunday service, that, that, like to put it in like maybe more helpful terms, that would be like saying, I want to open a blockbuster franchise. <laughs> it's probably a bad investment. It's probably not the smartest strategy if you have a strong passion to get people to watch movies. Buying a blockbuster is probably not the right way to do it. Now, what I'm not saying is the church needs to close its doors and go home. What I'm not saying is churches shouldn't be started and planted. What I'm not saying is the gospel doesn't need to be preached. What I'm saying is the way that we are, have been doing it is not going to work in the future. It's not working now, and it's certainly not going to work in the future. And in fact... This is just my prediction. I've been saying these things for a long time, but this is just my prediction. It, it's, it's, it's not going to go well for us in the next few years if we don't change quickly. With the political issues we have, with the economic issues we have, with the overhead, just the cost, the overhead. Think about trying to own a building and manage a facility. and like it's um, Again, Jesus is Lord over his church. Matthew 16, 18, he will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe that wholeheartedly. I am not up here saying I don't have faith for the future. I'm up here saying I don't think that this is going to work much longer if it's even working right now. Actually, I don't think it is working right now. So what then? So what then? It's a good question. Through my eraser over here in a fit of passion. So if you go to the book of Acts, there you go, Bible. Let's do it. Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2. We, we talked about this last week, but I want to 
go through this again. And maybe, Elizabeth, before you put the verses on the screen, if you could throw the missionary pathway back up there, that would be great. What we see in the book of Acts, chapter 1 and chapter 2, and even the end of the Gospels, is we see the missionary pathway. We see, and again, this isn't like secret sauce, okay? This isn't anything special. This is just us taking what we see in the New Testament, taking some of the things we've been teaching for a long time, and kind of consolidating it. But what we see here is we see Jesus invite the disciples, come and follow him. They call him Lord. They walk away from everything. He is now the Lord of their life. If you go to Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of Acts chapter 2, what do we see? We see the church, the early church, Jesus' closest disciples. What are they doing? They're in the upper room. He has gone to the cross. He's resurrected. He's about to ascend. And what are they doing in the upper room? They're praying. They're praying that the Spirit would come because that's what Jesus promised. They're praying the Spirit would lead them. They're praying for a move of God. They're scared. They're frightened. You know, like they've got diagrams like this going on in their head, only significantly worse because they think they're probably going to get killed for their faith. And then what happens? The Spirit of God does drop. And what happens in Acts chapter 2? We talked about this, but they start to live these lives that can only be explained by the gospel, by the reality of the power and presence of God. They start to speak uh, in other tongues, other languages. They're in the city of Jerusalem at this time. There's people from all over the region in Jerusalem for a festival. These people hear the gospel in their own tongue and they're like, what's going on? And then in Acts chapter two, Peter stands up. He preaches like kind of the first sermon to this group of people. He plants the gospel among them. They come to faith. And then what do we see? What do we see in the book of Acts? We see the church emerge out of a group of people who have submitted to the lordship of Christ, who have been praying, fasting, seeking after the presence of the Lord, the spirit of God has enabled them to live extraordinary lives, living missional lives, the gospel being planted and then the church emerges. And this is the picture we get of it in Acts chapter two, verses 42 to 47. I'll just read these verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers were together and everyone, sorry, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So what happens? There's all these people from all over the place in the city of Jerusalem responding to this planting of the gospel by Peter. And what happens is the, the few Christians in Jerusalem at that time, they start to welcome all these non-believers or these new believers into their lives, into their homes. That's why they're selling property and possessions. And they start to form, they start these little, what they, the Greek word is oikos, it means household. These household expressions of, of church start to pop up. Right? At this time, there's, there's no paid clergy, there's no seminary grads, there's no like pastors, uh, there's no church buildings, it's, it's just the community of faith. And what you see in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts is kind of this reality. If this was Jerusalem, you see this reality of, of people coming to faith and these little oikos, these little households, popping up all over the place. If you go and read Acts chapter 1 through 7, what you're going to see is the disciples, the church, praying. The, the, it's really the missionary pathway being lived out. They're, they're filled with the power of the Spirit. They're doing things in the power of the Spirit. They're telling people about Jesus. They're living lives that demand a gospel explanation. And then more and more people are coming to faith. So in Jerusalem, this is where the Christian movement was concentrated. So Acts 1 to 7 
is all about Jerusalem being filled with the gospel. They had the favor of everyone in the whole city. If you go to Acts chapter 5, you read in Acts chapter 5 a very similar uh, picture of the church that you see in Acts chapter 2. Because there was more people and there were more properties and possessions being sold and there was more work of the Holy Spirit happening and there was more praying and there were more healings and there was more preaching of the gospel and there were more oikoses started up. And then in Acts chapter 8, this event occurs where the religious establishment starts to get very, very frustrated with the church and they end up coming after them with intense persecution. Stephen's martyred. And what ends up happening is this, is the Jerusalem church, because of the persecution, is scattered. They start going all over the place. They go to Samaria. They, they, they go, if you just read Acts chapter 8, there's a whole bunch of stories in a row right out of the gate in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 9 of the church scattering and people outside of the city of Jerusalem hearing the gospel. And guess what happens? More oikoses, more churches, and more communities get started. And what we see from Acts 8 to roughly 28 is the spreading of the church. Eventually what ends up happening is the church gets a little bit more formalized. They, they set up an apostolic team. Paul, Barnabas, others get sent out to strategic regions to plant strategic churches, start strategic churches in strategic regions, and the gospel just starts spreading, and it starts spreading, and it starts spreading. And we get this beautiful picture of the church filling the entire region. So it goes from Jerusalem to filling all of Asia Minor. This is what it looks like. Churches, oikoses, everywhere. And what we said last week is that I th we think that the moment we are in is going to require a church that looks more like this than the first diagram that we drew. That we have to figure out, and this is something we've been saying for 11 years, not how to get people to come to church but how do we actually get the church to go to where the people are? Because again, when is the last time you woke up on a Friday and thought to yourself, if there was just a cool mosque, I would totally go to it? Well, that's what our non-believing friends and neighbors on the whole think about coming here on a Sunday. I shared this story last week, but I remember sitting in a gym with a group of people, basketball players, that this is like, this pre-West Village is like 12 years ago, recognizing that I was, I was sitting amongst a tribe of people. They, they were all friends. They had their own culture. They had their own language. They had their own way of doing life. There was, they had their own story, their own kind of narrative of like kind of worldview, basically, that, that kind of governed how they lived, like f a functional religious community, but just basketball was their religion. And I remember sitting in the gym and the Spirit of God said, what is it going to take? At this time, I worked at Saanich Baptist. The address of the building that the church met in was 4347 Wilkinson Road, and we had services 9, 11, and 6. I remember saying to myself, the Holy Spirit asking me, rather, what would it take for one of these people to show up to 4347 uh, Wilkinson Road at 9, 11, and 6? And my answer was cancer or the Holy Spirit reaching down and dragging one of them there. Like, they're not coming. I felt like that was not a great missional strategy to bank on. And I remember thinking to myself, well, what if 
What if I'm the missionary to this tribe? What if the Spirit of God has actually called me to be the presence of Christ amongst these people? So when we think of our city, when we think of the city of Victoria, let me do this a little differently. When we think of the city of Victoria, it's, it's made up of a bunch of what we call networks and neighborhoods. When I say networks, and by the way, it's super stressful to be spelling words on a big whiteboard in front of a whole bunch of people and the internet, right? Like it's out there forever. Like that guy's an idiot. I before E except after C. Um, <laughs> but when you think of our city, it's, just, it's, it's made up of a bunch of networks and neighborhoods. What do I mean by that? Well, a network is what I just described. It's this community of basketball players. Our, our lives are not close uh, geographically, but they intersect on the basketball court. We see each other all the time through the rhythms of life as lived out as, as a community of basketball players. Uh, or you think of the gym you work at or the rec center maybe that you participate in or if you play on a sports team, these are networks. If you have some kind of hobby this is a, and you do it regularly with the same group of people, this is a network. So our city's made up of all kinds of networks, but it's also made up of all kinds of neighborhoods. My neighborhood, Pheasant Meadows, 50 units, right? Right here, this is, this is my neighborhood. You live on a street, that's a neighborhood. You live in a townhouse complex, that's a neighborhood. Or an apartment building, that's a neighborhood. One of the sociological phenomenons that's taking place in the West, again, is that it is less and less common for your primary community to be your neighborhood. More often than not, your neighborhood is actually not a place you want intimate relationship with people. It's a place you want, to, you want refuge. So you coexist, you get along for the sake of sanity, but you actually don't want to get intimate with one another. So, you know, it's kind of that like, uh, that stereotype of like the person who pulls in their driveway, the garage door pulls, closes down behind them, they go in their house, they watch television, and then they go to work and they kind of do it again the next day. But they don't really have like intimate relationships with their neighbors. Like that used to be a thing maybe 20 years ago, and it's becoming less and less a thing. And so the city, though, is made up of all of these things, all of these different networks, neighborhoods all over the place. And here is the picture that I want you to imagine. What if every single network and every single neighborhood had a glory in it? Right? And glory will be the first to admit there's nothing special about me. We're not trying to hold glory up on a pedestal here. But somebody who said, okay, Jesus has put me here. He's Lord of my life. I want to walk close with him. I want to pray and fast and ask the Spirit of God what he might have from, for my neighborhood, for the people he's placed around me. I want to be sensitive to his leading. I want to live as a missionary here. So I'm not going to buy one kayak. I'm going to buy two. And I want to get to know my neighbors and I want to start to talk about Jesus. Imagine every school, every campus, every workplace, every street, I can't even think, every sports team, all, wherever you are, wherever there's a group of people that don't yet know Jesus, the street community, the hard-to-house community, I mean, man, there's knitting clubs. Like, it's, it's crazy, it's endless. What if every single one of those places had somebody there 
who said, Jesus, what do you have for this group of people? And what if we could start to see in every one of these networks or neighborhoods, churches, communities of faith emerging, disciple-making communities, little Bible studies popping up, little gospel conversations, meals, whatever it is, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, popping up right in the network, right in the neighborhood, what could actually happen? I believe, I believe that this is not only the most practical thing, but I also believe it's the most theologically consistent thing. When we start to look at the way, the way that Jesus talked about our discipleship, this is what we see, that we are the sent people of God. Right? Jesus is the first missionary. He moves into the neighborhood. He invites us to follow him. Matthew 28, he sends us to be his disciples. He fills us with the Spirit, sends us to be his disciples. So how do we do it? And that's what I want to spend the last 10 or so minutes talking about. We did talk about this last week, but I think there is a... Uh, a diagram, Elizabeth, on the screen. There you go. You're like, I didn't even know what I was going to say. You knew before I knew. That's amazing. You're amazing. So we talked about this, and this isn't magic. This is just helpful. Okay, This is just a helpful tool to give handles to actually, like, to what Glory was just talking about. So there's kind of three environments that are described here in this resource. The first environment is a discovery environment. And the discovery environment is a relational space where we engage with persons of peace. We talked about that in a previous uh, message in this series. We engage persons of peace in spiritual conversations. Example, praying for them in the name of Jesus, blessing them in the name of Jesus, talking to them about Jesus, sharing the gospel, however the Spirit leads, right? But we start to have, and it's not just a friend group, it's like an intentional friend group. And I'll come back, circle back and talk about all these in just a second and give you some examples. From a discovery group, we move to what's called a simple church. It's a group space where we invite an interested person of peace in discovering Jesus more together through DBS, which stands for Discovery Bible Study, which is what Glory's going to do this afternoon, or the Story Formed Way, which is a resource that we use to help people be exposed to the gospel that many people have actually heard and come to faith in Jesus through. And then the last environment is what we call missional community. And this is like an expression of the church, a, a smaller expression of the church this would be like an oikos like what is described in acts 2 so we invite persons of peace to step into full participation in the life of our extended spiritual family or we help them discover how to form a new spiritual family with those that they are now planting the gospel among so if you look at these three environments you can see that there's there's sort of um like an in, a staged intentionality or intensity to them so when you start to think about a discovery group um what, what Glory described in walking with her neighbor would be a picture of a discovery group. So she has a whole bunch of relationships with her neighbors. But as she's been getting to know her neighbors, as she's been intentional in her neighborhood, as she's been practicing the things we've been talking about in the missionary pathway, fasting, praying, Spirit of God, you heard her say it like, oh, I think my neighbor is actually a person that might be open to hearing about Jesus. So she started to get very intentional and invited her into a more intimate environment, right? So tonight, I know, I've, or not tonight, sorry, tomorrow night, I know I've heard lots of our missional communities are doing fun things in their neighborhood. Fire pits, handing out candy, blessing neighbors. It's awesome. It's great. That is not a discovery group. That's just a great opportunity to, to bless in the name of Jesus. 
But a discovery group would be, I met some people in doing that or in ongoing relationships with my neighbors who seem like they're interested in more intimate conversation. It might not be a full-on Bible study, but it is like a, it's somebody who's leaning in relationally. So I'm going to carve out time to spend more time with them. And so Glory invites her neighbor to start going to do things one-on-one. Sometimes it's one-on-one, sometimes it's maybe three or four people, but it's a more intimate space where you can start to have some more real conversations. I'm not, I don't know this to be true, but my guess is that this is how Glory discovered some of the things she discovered about her neighbor, that there were, there's loneliness, that there was financial hardship, because she was actually in her world having real intimate conversations with her. And as the spirit is at work in that discovery environment, what is the next step? Because I I think a huge problem that some of us have is like we have these relationships, we're trying to be missionaries in our workplace, and we don't actually know what to do. We're like, I'm not totally sure what to do. I know Chris said I'm not supposed to invite them to like the movie theater, so I better not do that because they're going to get mad at me. But you can do that. That's actually okay. I'm just saying it's maybe not the best strategy to bank on. So what do you do? Well, create an environment where they can actually have Jesus conversations. As there's an openness, as there's a response to what Jesus is doing, invite them in. And so this afternoon, Glory's going to sit down with her neighbor. And we, we met this week and we talked about some really good Jesus stories to go through. And together, they're going to open the Bible, they're going to read the Bible, and they're going to do Discovery Bible Study. Where, where this gal is going to have the opportunity to discover for herself with glory there to help and the Holy Spirit there leading, leading out of the scriptures who Jesus is. And the hope is, over time, as this happens, that this gal is going to come to faith in Jesus and she's going to become a part of the community of faith. And like I already said, it could be that her glory and her neighbor and maybe a few others who are going to help are going to actually see the church emerge right here, right here in her neighborhood. So we don't have to like figure, we don't have to sit around here and go like, how do we like create like the most epic Christmas Eve service ever so that maybe somebody from this neighborhood would come here? We got 24-7 expression of the church in that neighborhood. We have people praying for the people that live on that street. We have people living out the gospel right there in that community. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture that we see in the book of Acts. Um, So today, this is not like now we're going to start the message, uh, but today the step in the missionary pathway, if you want to just go back to that missionary pathway for a second, uh, Elizabeth, is... The last step in our missionary pathway is the step of multiply. So you can see that we, we, Jesus is Lord, prayer and fasting, live as missionaries, plant the gospel, community emerges. And then what we want to see is we want to see that this multiply all across our city. We want to see more disciples made, more community started all across our city. So what does that actually look like? And I want to just quickly tell a story. You, and you heard some of that story Already, you can go back to that discovery tool, um, discovery pathway, Elizabeth, because I'll, I'll reference that. Um, 
so in the video that we showed just before this, you saw a bunch of people. Those are the people that have been a part of my missional community. There's a couple in there. Many of you know them, Mark and Jesse. Mark and Jesse uh, have been a part of West Village for about seven years, and their story of coming to faith very much is a picture of all the things that we have been talking about. A uh, number of years ago, and I'm going to fast track like the, the details and just kind of get you to see what this actually looks like, but a number of years ago, uh, my wife and I, we started a missional community right in our neighborhood on mission. A bunch of our neighbors were a part of that. Some people from West Village were a part of that. And man, it was wild. We saw some awesome stuff over about seven or eight years happen. A bunch of our neighbors came to faith in Jesus, some really, really cool stuff. Uh, I think I said this last week, but I believe our neighborhood is like indelibly different as a result of the way that that community expressed itself amongst our neighbors. Uh, there was a gal in the early stages of our, our group that was a part of our, our community. Her name is Jolene. She was a military uh, military lady, and uh, she had some relationships in the military, and sort of a de-church person who kind of found us, and just like, man, there was something about the way that our community was like doing life together and like just living as family that just made her come alive. And she just had this like zeal and passion. She she wanted everybody to know how good the community of Jesus's people were. And so she used to tell people all the time. And she met uh, Mark and Jesse. She knew Jesse because they were both military wives. And Jolene's birthday was uh, right around the time of mine and Kelly's. Kelly and I have the same birthday. If you don't know, now you know. There's a story there. I'll tell it some other time because I'm running out of time. But we threw a joint birthday party at the Six Mile Pub. And that was, I think that was possibly the first time that I met Mark and Jesse. Jolene had invited Mark and Jesse. We invited a bunch of our friends, and we kind of had this fun night together. And through those relationships, Jolene, just in living out the missionary pathway, this was long before we ever taught any of this stuff, but we were still living it. Uh, Jolene started to live this stuff out with Jesse. And we used to have these dinner parties on Wednesday night in our neighborhood. And they were like, they were pretty epic. Like we would have anywhere from 30 to 50 people in our little townhouse. It was packed. There were believers and non-believers there. And for us as a community, this would be what we would have described as a discovery environment, right? We were getting to know lots of our neighbors. And then we threw these dinner parties where they weren't Bible studies. They weren't church meetings. But the Christians that were there knew that we were there on mission, and so we would look for ways to plant the gospel. We would say grace before dinner and invite everybody in. And we would, you know, bless everyone in the name of Jesus. We would celebrate birthdays. And, and part of those birthday celebrations would be like speaking words of blessing over people and praying for them. We took vacations together and like just kind of lived as family. And it, it was kind of this beautiful picture of the church, believers and non-believers, like living together. And Jesse kind of entered into this discovery group. Mark did not want anything to do with us. Uh, he, he wanted to keep himself at arm's length, but Jesse came in and she was just intrigued and she started, she had all these questions about Jesus and she had questions about the Bible. And, uh, and so our group said, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do, and you can see this resource here talked about in the simple church. We're going to start uh, something called the story formed way, this 10 week look at the story of God. And we were really intentional about it. We said, hey guys, we're going to, we're going to do this for 10 weeks. We're going to invite Jesse in. She has all these questions and she entered into this process with us and we go through the story of God. And so Jesse enters into this like simple, simple church. Again, we didn't have these, we didn't have these, you know, terms or anything like that. We were just trying to make disciples and make disciples. And she comes in and she's got her questions and our people 
Our people were great at loving her and serving her and blessing with her and connecting with her even outside of the context of our meeting times. And like, it was just, it was just this dynamic. And then through that and a whole bunch of other things, Jesse ends up coming to faith in Jesus. Yeah, super great. She gets baptized uh, at Lake, in Lake Couch in a Lakeview campground uh, on one of our epic camping trips. There's like 40 or 50 people on this camping trip, a bunch of our non-believing neighbors who are now her friends, people from West Village who are part of our community. We all go down to the beach. It's a hot day. There's people everywhere, and Jesse prof professes publicly her faith in Christ, just this beautiful picture of the church, and she becomes a part of our missional community. The story doesn't end there, though. Because as all this is happening, and, and, and Mark, I bumped into Mark in the lobby or in the hallway before, and he's like, just don't make it sound too good. I'm like, ah, I'm, there's one step forward, three steps back, two steps forward, one step back, five steps forward, two steps back. There's ups and downs in this whole thing, and I'm just telling you the highlights here, okay? Mark is watching all this happen, and he's saying to himself, okay, my wife is different. Something's different. And he went from full on, I'm not kidding, like mocking, he used to make fun, uh, not to our faces, but behind our backs, he would make fun of us and make fun of our group and make fun of our community, he wanted nothing to do with it. But because of the dynamic of the community, we would do camping trips, wedding or uh, baby showers and birthday parties. He kind of got to know us and he was seeing this change in Jesse. And he's like, okay, I got to see what's going on. So he started coming to our dinner party. So Mark enters into a discovery environment where he's just observing these people doing life together. And then our, the guys in our group, we're going to start what we call a DNA group, which is just like a smaller group of guys sitting down with the Bible, talking about Jesus, talking about our lives. And we didn't want Mark to feel left out. So I invited him, fully expecting him to say no to that. But he said yes. And he came. And for about a year, a group of us would meet roughly every other week to read the Bible, talk about it, talk about our lives, go through some other stuff together, pray together. And after about a year or so of going through that process together, Mark comes to faith in Jesus, got baptized just out there pre-COVID. Awesome. Awesome. But it didn't end there. Because Mark and Jesse, like there's this John Stott quote. John Stott says, what you win them with is what you win them to. And yes, Mark and Jesse were a part of our Sunday gathering, but what they had really tasted and seen and experienced was this community of disciple makers on mission together. And Mark and Jesse were like, oh, people need to know about Jesus. And the world that they live in, they live in PMQ housing, military housing, the military world, there's just a lot of brokenness, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of need. And they said, we want to actually see if we can help do for others what Jesus has done for us through this community. And so just... I don't know, about three months ago, we officially kind of sent them. COVID kind of put a pause on some of the trajectory of that, but then just recently we were able to commission them and send them. And I tell you all of that just to paint a picture for what could be possible. I mean, just imagine, just imagine what could be possible if all of us, we just made disciples, gave our lives to Jesus, prayed and asked the Spirit what he wants to do, remained, abided in Christ, listening to what he said, talked about Jesus as he led us, invited people to come study the Bible, 
see them come to faith. It's messy. People are going to get rejected. People are going to say yes. Some people are going to say no. Some people are going to fall off the map. Some people are going to ghost you. But slowly over time, I think what we would start to see is more and more churches emerging all throughout our city. This picture of gospel saturation. Now, let me just be clear about one thing. Actually, I'll invite the band to come up now because I need to wind down. 12 minutes ago, I needed to wind down. I want to make sure I say one thing. When we talk about multiplication, what we are not talking about is multiplying groups. What we are talking about is multiplying what Jesus is doing in your life. It's not about starting a whole bunch of new groups of people scattered all across our city, but it's about taking what Jesus is already doing in our lives and starting to multiply that. Where, where is he at work? Where is he speaking to us? Where is he ministering to us? Where is he loving us? Because some of us are probably thinking like, oh my gosh, I, I can't even imagine. I'm so broken. I'm so hurt. I'm so sidelined. I, I don't even know where to begin. In Mark chapter 5, there's a story where Jesus comes into a community. He bumps into this person who is demon-possessed in shackles and chains. Like his life is in complete disrepair. And Jesus comes in and he does a work in this man's life. Heals him, casts the demons out. The man becomes free from his possession of demons, and he becomes a missionary. He doesn't start a missional community. He doesn't start a community group. He's just a missionary. Jesus has done something great in my life, and I got to tell other people about it. Jesus is moving in my life, and I got to tell other people about it. My life is a disaster and a train wreck, and Jesus met me in my place of greatest need and I got to tell somebody about it. So when we talk about this idea of multiplication, the vision isn't go out and start a new thing. The vision is just take a pause for a second and breathe and ask yourself the question, what is Jesus already doing in my life? How do I, how do I share that with someone else? So I want to invite us to pray. If you bow your heads with me. And here's how I want to close our time. I want you to ask yourself this question. Jesus, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? If your life is like mine, we have four kids, we're busy, we're moving fast, and we don't have a ton of time to just slow down and breathe and discern what God is actually doing. So why don't we just take a minute right now to do that? Why don't you just take a minute right now and just slow down your breathing. Whatever you got going on in your mind, just cast it out. And just ask Jesus a simple question. What are you doing right now? Where are you at work?
So Jesus, we, we want to see where you're working. We want to see what you're doing, not just in our neighborhoods or in our, wherever you've placed us in our networks, but just in our own lives. Sometimes we can't even see where you're at work in our own life. Allow us to see. Allow us to pay attention. Spirit, would you just bring to mind, bring to heart how you are working. Pray you would continue to speak to us and lead us. Empower us and fill us, we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. Invite you uh, to stand and we are going to respond.